0: This is Raphael. I'm Lauren. We're the Pacheco siblings, and welcome to the Hypercube podcast, a talk show in which two siblings converse about anything and everything. How are you doing? I
1: am doing interesting. Very good. Very good. Probably the best I've
0: been in a while. That's awesome. Yeah, so this is our first podcast that we are recording remotely now that you're in Australia. Yeah, I'm in Australia. Crazy, crazy, absolutely crazy. Crazy really exciting though yeah i'm glad you're you're having a good time uh well hold on let me do some live adjustments here because i was having trouble getting my game to do anything before we started And now that we started recording now it's like no actually it's really high. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> let me fix that a little bit but it's okay live mixing a little live mixing never hurt anybody yeah we'll do a live. Um, we'll live actually that's not true it probably caused feedback at some point that really hurt somebody's eardrums Gee, yes that's but- true i've seen that happen Thankfully, we can fix it in post. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome. Hope you're enjoying your time there. You really seem to be. Yes. So, that's exciting. Uh, however, that being said, depending on how the timeline works out, we may rearrange the order of recorded episodes a bit mm-hmm. where this premieres before some previous episodes we recorded, uh, where we were still live recording or uh, recording in the same room together. So, we'll see. We'll see. But this is definitely the first one. In our timeline, yeah, <laughs> we are recording remotely. It's fascinating.
1: Yeah, we've got to we got to deal with like delay
0: and ping. Yeah, all sorts of stuff we didn't used to deal with. Yeah. That was the weird thing when I was doing the intro. Um, when I was like, I'm Raphael, and then I had to like wait for you to respond <laughs> instead of it being like immediate. It used to be a yeah. snap.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like after I said, it, I was like, I had to wait for you to hear me respond. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, weird. Very I mean, that weird. seems very basic, but like, yeah. <laughs> it's just weird to have to deal and, with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that delay is going to get cut out in the edit as well. You think so? I, I, I'll, I'll uh, adjust everything to be uh, right. Hopefully.
0: Hopefully. Well, that's your job now. So it is. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, um, I guess uh, we should keep it. We should keep things light for jumping into our first time recording remotely. Yeah, sure. Is it time for us to talk about abortion? I think it's time to talk about abortion. Okay, I think it's time to talk about abortion. <laughs> so, um, for context, uh, the, uh, you know, especially among our international audience, here in the United States, there's been something going on lately, as of this recording, yeah, in which there was a leaked draft of a Supreme Court decision in a case that is currently being adjudicated. Yeah, so the case in question is Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the... Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito's draft of the majority opinion in that case recently leaked to the press and indicates that this might be the case that overturns the standards set by Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Mm-hmm. So Roe v. Wade is kind of a big deal in American mm-hmm. law, yeah. or at least in American political life generally. Um, it's a that huge is generally talking point. Huge talking point. Huge talking point. It's generally considered the case that made abortion a widely available right, essentially, to Mm -hmm. American citizens uh, throughout all 50 states. So it's a huge talking point. It's used as a sort of battleground issue on both sides of the abortion debate, pro-life and pro-choice, kind of see it as this huge bastion. now. I kind of want to talk about one thing that I particularly wanted to emphasize isn't so much this particular case and the details of that are changing on a regular basis. In fact, by the time this podcast airs, it's quite possible that they will have already decided that case or at least that there will be some new news on it. Some new breakthroughs. Yeah. The leaking of that draft majority opinion uh, written by Alito uh, is certainly very huge. And the fact that roe v wade can be overturned right now is not necessarily something that was a lot of people were ready for yeah but add that to the list add that to your bingo card if you had it (laughs) yeah add that to your bingo card but i kind of mostly want to talk about why roe v wade doesn't matter as much as you think it does whether you're pro-life or Mm pro-choice
1: right like let's talk about what what that decision actually does
0: yeah um Well, first off, I'm not sure where you would consider yourself to lie strictly on this particular on this particular issue. Would Mm -hmm. you necessarily consider yourself pro-life or pro-choice? Yes. Okay, good to know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you're asking which one, the answer is also yes. (laughs) I am pro-life and I'm pro-choice because it turns out the opposite of pro-life isn't pro-choice. Opposite of pro-life is pro-death. The opposite of pro-choice is pro-non-choice. <laughs> pro-life and pro-choice can exist like harmoniously. Like people don't people don't understand that pro-life is not the opposite of like pro-choice. People who are uh, who are pro-choice are also pro-life. Like they're not advocating for the killing of babies. They're just saying the women should have a chance. Mm.
0: Yeah, and well, and I think that's just like a sort of politically coded speech yeah. that we have just baked into our culture. Is the fact that neither side is uh, neither side is codified as a negative, right? Yeah. Because both are using positive language. It's pro yeah. and pro, so right instead of anti and anti, right? Because nobody wants to be anti life. Yeah. Nobody wants to be anti choice. Yeah. But people do want to be pro life or pro choice. Exactly. Right. So you can make yourself uh, a hero in either side of the debate that you lie on by the virtue of the fact that both. Identity markers are framed as positives right well, uh, we've talked about my sort of uh, cultural position on the podcast before, right I'm uh, mm-hmm. a Christian that theologically would be considered evangelical in nature, even if I wouldn't self identify as that on a census mm-hmm. ju- just for political reasons right, right. that <laughs> I don't entirely align with basically, or at least not even political reasons, but like cu- the cultural perceptions. Uh, of those political reasons, right. is just like, yeah, it's a mess. that's just, it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, and especially it's uh, attachment to far right politics nowadays, in uh, at least in the American evangelical circles, the global evangelical movement is actually doing very healthy, generally speaking. <laughs> They're fine. It's, it's most, just here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't even say that anymore. It's over there. American so for, where you are, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you can't even say that anymore.
1: I can't. I can't You're say it's American here and abroad. Oh. Uh, I'm an expatriate. <laughs> not yet.
0: <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, yeah. You yeah, haven't quite gone that far.
1: Well, technically, not. I'm not legally an expatriate, but I, I, uh, I believe expatriate is something that is applicable to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I in particular would consider myself pro-life as well. Right. However, I think. The problem with a lot of evangelicalism right now, American evangelicalism, I should clarify, since I made that distinction yeah, just right, earlier, right, right. That evangelicalism generally does not have the same problems that American evangelicalism does. Yeah, you throw American in front of anything, it changes the context entirely.
1: American evangelicalism, entirely. American football. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: yeah, what the heck? How did American football happen? But, like, you barely even use your foot. Anyway, that's a that's an entirely different <laughs> It's not even a
1: ball. But. It's an egg. It's hand egg.
0: <laughs> that would be a much more appropriate title. So, yeah, I would consider myself pro-life. However, I think the American evangelical political discourse revolving around abortion is severely lacking in a lot of nuance that the conversation needs. Um, because, well, these are extremely complex issues and it's extremely difficult to talk about. When you take into account the whole of human life and flourishing, Um, because the uh, pro-life, firstly, is just such an expansive position to hold. And I believe, and a lot of uh, other people in the evangelical sphere are kind of speaking more to this fact nowadays, that pro-life should be about, should be a stance, and it should be a stance that Christians have, but it should not just be about abortion right be in the same way that abortion isn't just about abortion um because it turns out a majority of the reasons that people get abortions um do not have to do with necessarily like the circumstances of the pregnancy itself or of bearing a child but of other life factors so if you want to be pro life you should be worried about things first off that just affect people and affect people's lives outside of abortion right but um, things like Healthcare, or poverty or mm-hmm. police brutality, things like that, things that are uh, taking people's lives should be of concern and generally aren't because of the package deal ethics that we sort our political tribes into.
1: Exactly. So you have to have a holistic approach, especially if it comes to a big, broad stance. Like if you say you're pro-life, There is a lot of things that come with life. It's literally all we do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, precisely. Which holistic is a good word for it because that's actually, so there's, the again, I'm talking about this emerging sort of ideological movement within evangelicalism that is sort of, that I hate joining movements, but, like, I guess I am sort of a part of that wave, you know, of, like, people who have been kind of deconstructing lately from inherited American evangelicalism versus, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, what do we actually believe? What does the Bible actually say? And how do we exercise that faithfully as 21st century Americans um, in our cultural context? So, yeah. There's been this very broad movement of deconstruction that's going on right now in the evangelical world, which has been very, honestly, very cathartic to see, uh, especially with a lot of the mess that has gone through American politics lately as a result of this sort of thing. But yeah, so there's some new terminology that is kind of emerging because of that, that we're trying to define in order to distinguish stuff from what came before. And with Mm -hmm. regard to pro-life, that's one sort of marker that you're seeing a lot more now is this idea. I like the term holistically Um, pro-life. I find that to be the most succinct. But there's this neat little catchphrase that has been going around that I also really like and find useful, which is um, womb to tomb (laughs) pro-lifers. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) yeah. Which is
0: like, yeah, it's like, yeah, we care about the unborn. But we also care about the rest of life when we say pro-life. Yeah,
1: womb to tomb is pretty good. I like that. Yeah,
0: from the womb to the tomb. And it turns out if you adopt that framework where you're also considering life in its context after birth, then Mm -hmm. you will effectively uh, prevent more abortions because those are the conditions that lead to them. But that's the issue as well. My big problem when it comes to a lot of pro-life Rhetoric, uh,
1: you know, like the talking points that are of that particular stance, not necessarily the actual beliefs, but like, you know, the talking points, the problem that I have, a lot of those points don't consider the fact that like people just people don't just have babies. There's an entire life that comes up to that point. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a a lot of healthy intervention that could be implemented to prevent unwanted pregnancies. Cause that's what an abortion is, is, is an unwanted pregnancy. If you have any number like pick your, you know, pick your, your, your preferred method of preventing unwanted pregnancy, you can start like literally any stage up until like, you know, that the the woman's birth who is going to have the child, you know, however many years later, 16 to 30 years later, whatever from that, like from that starting point, starting from the woman's birth who would eventually have an abortion. If they have, access to like, you know, good health care, good education, contraceptives, things like that will prevent the abortion. That is good pro-life ethic. And like, that's good. That's fantastic. Nobody wants to abort a child. The best way to not abort a child is to never put yourself in a position where you get an unwanted pregnancy. And most of that just comes down to not having access to resources or not having the education of safe sex or anything like that. You have to have a complete holistic approach to it instead of just saying, boom, there, there is a child now. There is a decision to be made. That's where we're going to start our argument from.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good way to look at it is the whole of a person's life uh, yeah. that leads up to that moment and comes after it.
1: Exactly. Like too much of those arguments just start at the start at the pregnancy instead of everything that came before it.
0: Yeah. That being said, I think you're kind of getting at the heart of something that is kind of the fundamental problem here with a lot of the uh, pro-life argument as it's popularly represented, which is the fact that—and this is a sort of deeper cultural uh, dynamic—is the fact that for a lot of uh, people on the religious right, you know, if you ask them if the goal is to reduce the number of abortions or if the goal is to— make abortion illegal. For a lot of people on the religious right, the answer is by far to make abortion illegal. They would much rather have abortion be illegal than have less abortions. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because for a lot of people, especially a lot of my brothers and sisters in the white evangelical community, there's a cultural dynamic that doesn't exist in a lot of other people groups where they're raised with a perception of the American story in the american yeah. mythology that emphasizes the fact that america is a christian nation mm-hmm. which that's a whole other debate in and of itself right. <laughs> whether or not it is but the 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 part of the mythology is this emphasis on this fact and a lot of them are raised with that heavily drilled into their heads and so like abortion being on the books is the problem because it doesn't reflect what america's identity is supposed to be yeah and so oftentimes like on a deep emotional like gut level has very little to do with whether or not we need to reduce abortions and i find Mm -hmm. that kind of sad and that's why a lot and that's why we're seeing this growing emphasis on womb to tomb (laughs) pro-life-ness and holistic uh pro-life advocacy because like that shouldn't be the way it is you know that feels like especially when you consider it from a biblical perspective that's like feels almost like an idolatry to put that before like the imago day you know put the identity of your nation before the immeasurable worth of a human being made in the image of god like i feel like that should take a huge priority and that's where the data comes in that kind of drills home this point because like i said Roe v. Wade doesn't matter nearly as much as most people think it does on both sides of the aisle. Pro-life people kind of see it as this silver bullet that will just end abortion if we could overturn Roe v. Wade. That's the Mm -hmm. whole reason why a lot of single-issue voters, you know, went Trump in uh, two elections, right? Because they, uh, Supreme Court justices, you'll hear that argument raised a lot from that side of the aisle. But then you look on the, like, the pro-choice side of the debate. A lot of people see it as a similar silver bullet that like secures abortion as some inalienable and necessary right. And the truth of the matter is it doesn't actually make a whole world of difference in terms of actual access to abortion or n- number of abortions that are being had. And I'll link to a lot of the resources that I'm referencing in our show notes because I'm about to drop a bunch. Um, yeah. For one, there's a uh, there's a graph from the I believe it's pronounced Guttmacher Institute, um, Mm -hmm. that shows that the U.S. abortion rate reached a historic low in 2017. In fact, the graph shows, and I think more recent data has showed that this trend continued past 2017, that abortion rates have been declining in the U.S. for a very long time, for decades. Mm -hmm. They've been declining under Republican presidents. They've been declining under Democratic presidents. They've been – they spiked. A little bit shortly after uh, Roe v. Wade was decided. And uh, pretty much from like the late 70s, early 80s onwards, have been steadily declining, steadily declining. Right. So, uh, right now, all these decades after Roe v. Wade, abortion is currently at the lowest that it's pretty much ever been. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it's currently below. Pre Roe v. Wade levels, and it's been that way for a few years, a good few years.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: before Roe v. Wade, when abortion was not widely available, right, and where abortion was straight up illegal in most places, or I don't know if it was necessarily most places, but a lot of places, we were having more abortions than we are currently have in a post Roe world. Uh huh. So clearly, it didn't make that much of a difference because it turns out people who want to have abortions will find a way to have abortions right it's basically the same thing with i guess this is a different pol- uh, political argument but right with gun control right like people generally speaking people who want to have guns will have guns right but yeah that's a that's a kind of different ballpark but that's the thing it turns out that's just kind of the way it works furthermore and david french who i kind of reference a lot he's a great writer works with uh, the dispatch probably one of my favorite conservative writers that writes really intelligently about the intersection between faith and politics. And he did this article a while back, and well, it was back in 2020, talked about do pro-lifers who reject Trump have, quote, blood on their hands, unquote. Um, That was the title of the article. And the Holy Post actually did a great video adaptation of this article, uh, for those who don't like reading. (laughs) (laughs) That, yeah, very succinctly summarizes uh, the The points that he makes in this article and he references the Guttmacher data as well, but he also references and still frequently references this comprehensive study that came out of Notre Dame. And again, this will all be in the show notes as well, called How Americans Understand Abortion. And in this comprehensive study, it is first off, it is fascinating. It is a mind opening uh, research paper. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you could get a. It actually has a very well-produced PDF. Um, anybody has access can have access to. Again, I'll link this all. Uh, it's 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 really it's really laid out. Uh, well for anybody to be able to read and understand, even though it's a work of academia. Um, so yeah, how Americans understand abortion, a Notre Dame uh, research paper, and it. In it, they interview a representative sample of American citizens, mm-hmm. a demographically representative sample, and basically uh, get their opinions about abortion um, without necessarily, I think, talking about the abortion directly. Right. I can't remember exactly what their criteria were for how they framed the questions. But basically, uh, they, they do take care to frame the uh, questioning in certain ways in the interviews to, ma- to basically get to the core of what Americans really uh, think and say about abortions. Right. And what they found is a lot of actually what you have already iterated Just on your own in this podcast, um, which is the fact that, well, first off, Americans generally don't like to talk about abortion, um, no matter what side. Oh, it's an awkward subject. It's an awkward subject, no matter what side of the aisle you fall on. But secondly, it is very much that thing that, like you were saying, is even the most pro-choice people, none of them, or at least very few, thought of abortion as a desirable good. And it turns out most people generally, when pushed, like have more nuanced ideas and will take more into consideration factors and yeah, factors uh, surrounding the pregnancy and things of that nature, even on the most pro-life side of the spectrum. So that's the thing is, and uh, I think also part of what they found in the studies, this, this study is in fact this is one of the headers in their major findings. Is survey statistics oversimplify Americans' abortion attitudes? That's point number two in their major findings. Okay, that's like an actual thing that <laughs> they, uh-huh. this this uh, research has like like it's it's not proven. <laughs> yeah, has has proven is that yeah. Generally speaking, the way we survey Americans about their abortion attitudes is way oversimplified. And when you actually have uh, an in depth rigorous more rigorous interview process you will find that pretty much everybody's views are more complex than what you see usually published on the news so that's because
1: that's what happens when you have a talking point it becomes a monolith like the yeah the idea of abortion becomes a separate thing to what it's actually talking about
0: Mm -hmm. and yeah that's first off you're gonna love this part one of the the paper is titled a spectrum of attitudes and it's like mm, Uh huh. That word spectrum. Uh huh. We love that word so much here. (laughs) Love that word so much. It's it's a great word. It's a useful word. It's extremely useful. Because the more and more that I learn, generally speaking, the more and more I realize that life life exists on a spectrum. Just not it's not just an autistic thing. Yeah, I'm pro spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Just life exists on a spectrum. Like people are complex. Um and our ideas are complex, and it's so easy to oversimplify our views on things, and just to make talking points on, you know, television yeah. on cable news. And the sad part is, a lot of people are looking at that and thinking that's reality. Yeah,
1: that's the whole um, what's that? The um, strongman, or sh- not strongman. That's the straw man fallacy, right there. Right, like a, a lot of people. Reduce these things to just like this very simplified, very static idea of what this topic is and talk about that as if it's a topic and using this straw man is just like it's an easy way to get people on your side. If it's just like it's all about killing babies, it's not all about killing babies. That's like nobody thinks that's a good thing. Obviously, that's that's what that study shows. Nobody thinks that's a good thing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something completely different. But when the argument is framed as it's about killing babies or not, there's, there's only two things you can say about that, right? Right. It's you either are or against. And it becomes extremely obvious, at least that's the hope of using this trauma and argument, it becomes extremely obvious which one is the right one. Yeah. But that's not actually what we're talking about. We're not talking about that at all. That's not even like, that is that is that is way down the line. That is f- so far down in this person's life history that like that's not even what we need to talk about right now. That's, we should never even get to that point in the first place
0: yeah well and and that's the thing is and this straw manning goes on on every side of the spectrum on every side of the political spectrum yeah, at yeah. Least, right because yeah obviously the pro-life movement does that but very obviously the pro-choice movement does as well where basically the framework yes. that's used on the pro-choice side of the spectrum is everybody who is pro-life is essentially like anti-women's rights right um, right And is just like just hates women, are just like the most ultimate misogynistic people that wants everybody to get raped or something. And the, well, first off, not even taking into account the sheer number of uh, women that are pro-life. Uh, and, yeah, that's actually something I'm starting to see written about a lot more now is,, uh, especially in a lot of like different op-eds and stuff, is women talking about how uh, women who are pro-life, and well, and our feminists would consider themselves feminists at least, just like having their heart broken over the fact that, like, a lot of feminism nowadays treats like being pro-choice as an essential quality of being feminist and is like closing off a lot of diversity that they could have within that movement,
1: so it's, it's a lot of gatekeeping on, yeah, uh, gatekeeping on everybody's side, like, especially now there's just there's so much. I don't want to keep using the word gatekeeping because I think there is another word that is is better. Elitism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a lot of elitist mentality that's coming in all sorts in in all sorts of communities of just like, if you don't have these values, you are not one of us.
0: Exactly. And that's ultimately what it comes down to is elitism and tribalism. Right. Because. Yeah. Ultim- Elite tribalism. Yeah, there you go. Elite tribalism. That makes it sound cooler than it is, but um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's actually that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Because yeah, tribalism is, I think, probably one of the biggest issues that human society is facing right now. Because right now, yeah, we're we're dividing ourselves so severely and make, and siloing ourselves idealis- uh, ideologically rather uh because and we're doing it on purpose and we're doing it on purpose yeah exactly right because it's like yeah again you're closing off a lot of that spectrum but it's also you're you're assigning specific sets of ideological beliefs right and uh package deal ethics completely arbitrary yeah, as we as we call as yeah. i've called it and as many others have called it yeah right? I, like get this, I like that i like that you get yeah, this package deal. deal ethics where it's just like if you believe this but don't believe this, then you can't be part of our tribe or you can't be part of you know mm-hmm. this uh, particular label, even if you want to be right. And it's like, yeah, there's just so much that's wrong with that and so much that we're losing by not being willing to hear people who otherwise are on your side just because they diverge from yeah. you on one issue. Right. Because it's like, yeah, like there are some profoundly feminist people that are you know, that would consider themselves pro-life, but because on a lot of the pro-choice side of the spectrum, that's considered a big no-no, like they just cannot be accepted in those circles. And it's getting a lot of, uh, a little frustrating for some people. So
1: yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And I just, I just feel like we, we just need to be more open.
1: Generally speaking, I think people need to be taught. Well, Humanity needs diversity training. <laughs> it
0: really does. <laughs> I think it yeah. is just what it comes
1: down to. We need There's, to learn
0: to live with other people.
1: Well, that, that's the thing: is a lot of people are taught tolerance, and tolerance is a bad word. I don't know if you know this, Raph.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, for sure.
1: Tolerance implies inherent disagreement, right? Where it's just like it's it's. We don't want tolerance. We want acceptance. We want you to be a part of the group. We want. To, we don't want to just say you're okay. I will accept your existence, but you go eat at a separate table. It's, no, come in. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's share values. Let's figure each other out. Let's accept this. You know, I accept your alternate view on existence and, and just being alive, and I'm going to incorporate that into myself and figure out where our, common, our commonalities lie instead of where we're different. I don't want you to just sit over there so I can look at you and judge you from a distance. Come in a part of the conversation let's talk it out let's be human beings and have a conversation like an adult
0: yeah like an adult yeah yes at some point uh, like an adult at some point adults got less adult and i feel like it was politics fault
1: (laughs) (laughs) probably it's like schoolyard politics is what it is yeah
0: basically like it feels like the older i've gotten like the more it feels like the adults around me have regressed into like what I more <laughs> recently remember from school experience. It's like and like the happened?
1: worst part is they't the worst part is like they don't even get the play aspect of being a child, just the really bad parts. yeah
0: it's like, <laughs> like they're, not, they're of, not having
1: fun and dancing.
0: You got rid of all of the best parts about being a kid and kept all of yeah. the worst. <laughs> What the heck happened? Like, you
1: can't can't dance in public without feeling ashamed, yet you're completely willing to throw a complete temper tantrum in the middle of a Starbucks for no reason.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what the heck happened? Where did we go wrong? Okay, one last factoid about why Roe v. Wade doesn't matter as much as you think it does. Raph, what exactly does Roe v. Wade do? So, what Roe v. Wade does is it... The what that that ruling effectively does, to put it in plain English, in layman's terms, it's probably a lot more nuanced than this. But how I understand it is effectively, it makes it so that states, state legislators, cannot make abortion illegal.
1: Right. It's a federal law that prohibits state legislation.
0: Yes, or at least a judicial ruling. Right. So. Uh, uh, yeah. Because yes. yeah, yeah, that's where. Yeah, oh, that's, that's true. Because it's not. It's, it's not a federal law. It's exactly. not a federal law yet. And that's why. This is a larger, a larger debate, right, about, like, what the purpose of the Supreme Court is, which, like, I see, you know, this stuff about people, like, protesting outside of Justice Alito's house and stuff like that, and uh, that, to me, just feels, first off, it just makes me a little a bit upset, um, but second off, it, that, to me, feels indicative of a larger problem about how Americans view the Supreme Court Because I think right now a lot of Americans on every side of the aisle view the Supreme Court as something that it is not, right? which is basically a political tool. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's not what the Supreme Court is. That's generally not even how any of its justices view themselves, even though they have political uh, ideals and ideologies in and of themselves. They have their own preferences, but their job isn't to be politicians. Their job is to be judges. Um, And judges have... Yeah, their job
1: is to interpret the Constitution. Yeah,
0: judges have significantly different jobs than politicians do. Significantly different. Just because they both interact with law doesn't mean that they are, you know, the identical fields. Right. Yeah.
1: One is interpretation and the other is legislation.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And just that at some point... In, the recent, in recent history, we somehow got things mixed where the Supreme Court is widely seen as, even though the Supreme Court has always decided cases that have political overtones, right? And that will have political consequences. But the Supreme Court itself is not a political agent and it wasn't designed to be. And generally speaking, it still kind of kept its integrity as not being that. But the problem is the public perception. Yeah is the complete opposite. So anyway, let me share the last factoid. Uh, this is just a little micro factoid that I feel like is the kind of last nail in the coffin. Um, mm-hmm. And particularly to the pro-life movement, who might, uh, especially those who would view Roe v. Wade as the silver bullet and are overturning Roe v. Wade as the silver bullet to uh, end abortion in America, it will not. Uh, the pro-life work will have to continue beyond the end of Roe v. Wade because, simply put, because of the fact that Roe v. Wade, again, isn't a blanket uh, sweeping thing that, you know, it has greatly increased access to abortion. But again, technically all it does is it makes it so that state legislators cannot make abortion illegal. What does that mean? That means after it's overturned, it will simply allow state legislators to be able to make abortion illegal. And so, what are state legislators? Legislators are elected lawmakers. Elected lawmakers are elected by their constituents and constituents swing from one side of the political spectrum to the other, depending on where you're at, which means effectively some states will ban abortion. Some states won't. It'll be just like how it used to be. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Some states, it's just that some states are going to get a little bit worse, but just more, more
0: obviously. (laughs) But that's the thing is the places where abortion will, that have like the legislative power, to uh, ban abortion are the states where abortion is so taboo that very few people there want it anyway and that's why yeah. here's the last factoid even by the most conservative estimates about 90% of the abortions that are happening right now will still be happening in a post-roe world in a world where uh, it gets overturned that's a Kind of a lot, like it's it's not going to have that big of an impact.
1: I want to show you this video, uh, perhaps after this video is done, and maybe I can link it down in the in in the notes. There is something though that is to be said about like areas where people where it's so taboo, people don't want it anyways, right? Bo the fifth column gives us an uh, excellent anecdote of a story that he's heard or a story that he's uh, seen at least several times already, where he is down south. I think he lives in Florida, and very. Conservative, very Christian area, right? He talks about this situation where somebody is they're in a bad, like I think like they're in a, a, a way in the relationship, and suddenly they have to go, they have to go down south somewhere. It's like okay, like like oh yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm I have to go down to this specific beach for for a couple of weeks. Like it's, like I, I'm just gonna go down for a vacation. And he thinks about it. It's like in order for you to go down to that one specific spot to go to the beach, you have to pass by the really good beaches. The tourist destinations, the ones that everyone goes to, you have to go past that, get to this one specific beach. So what is in that area? An abortion clinic. But she can't say that. She has to say, I'm going down for a vacation. Because in that, in that area, it's so taboo that she can't talk about it. She, has to, she can't say, I'm going to go for an abortion. I have to go, I'm gonna go down there to this beach for a few weeks and just, you know, clear my head or whatever. It's like, but that's not why she's going. She can't say that. In this kind of area, like if, the, if that gets shut down, especially in his area where like that might become law, you'll then have to leave the state. And if you leave the state, it's a lot more obvious what you're doing than if you just say, I'm going to go down to the beach. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like it's just mm-hmm. a, it, it's a it changes it from a few uh, like a several mile drive. to like however many, however far you have to go to get to a state where that's legal. And it happens a lot more than you would think, apparently. People who don't talk about it, who live in an area where you can't talk about it, but still have to, because you can't have that. So those are like there are there are situations where that's gonna come up. And that's gonna be, of course, it's gonna be tragic, but that's unfortunately that's just how it is. And that's not a legislative issue, that's a cultural issue, right? That's that's an issue with shame culture and all that all that stuff. But Mm-hmm. yeah like you' are saying like it still has to bypass or not bypass it still has to go through state legislation. so if you are pro-choice or pro-life and you want and, and you want to live in a world where your politics triumph, go vote in your state elections. don't just vote in the in the general uh vote yeah vote politicians into your local government that are going to create legislation that you want. it's not roe v raid isn't. The end, that's the start of the fight. That is when you have to then go and start voting like a real American. What was it that, uh, there's that quote, voting is advanced citizenship. I think there's a, like that (laughs) phrase.
0: I never heard that one, but that's, that's good.
1: Voting is advanced citizenship. It's not something that you can do passively. It's not something that's like, oh, every four years I go vote. So you have to do actively. If you want to actually produce change, local legislation is where you'll produce change because guess who gets guess who even gets to be in like those general elections the people who have who are voted into the local offices guess who goes who gets who puts people into those local offices you you go vote put people that you want to be in power in power get those power structures set for for your communities and then get those people from your communities out into the bigger I don't know, the, the the big fish pool but you have to get them started in the local level first
0: yeah <laughs> It's a call to action, I guess. (laughs) I guess so. But my point was just that Roe v. Wade doesn't matter that much.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it doesn't. uh, It's, yeah, people think it's, uh, people are talking about it like it's the end, but it's the beginning, right? It's the start. Yeah. If that, like, if that gets overturned, that just means you have to work harder. Yeah. Technically, nothing happens. Well. When, if it, if it goes away. Yeah. Well, I mean, like. Not right away. Not right away. Like, like it's, it's not law. It's not, it's not, it's not creating legislature. Or legislate, I am fastest. It's not creating legislation, it's allowing legislation to happen. You still have to vote. You still have to go out and make it happen. Yeah.
0: yeah. But again, yeah, yeah. Like, no matter what side of the debate that you fall on, no matter what your views are, either way, Yeah, it's you just, still have it, to vote. You, it still creates, it just still just creates work on for you, right? It's not, yeah, you're right. It's yeah. not, it's not an end like on any, to anyone you know on any any side on any side yeah it is not an end at all so yeah if you
1: want if you want abortions to be illegal in your state go and vote if you want if you want to keep abortions legal in your state go and vote in local elections
0: yeah but i think even more uh if you're if this is really your cause and really something that you're passionate about fighting for i think what we've and what that Notre Dame study particularly draws attention to, is, and honestly, what I've kind of found more more practical in day to day life is, I think, even more important. Obviously, more important than the general election is local elections. Uh, yeah, I think you're definitely spot on on that. Yeah.
1: Well, that, technically, that's where it all begins.
0: Yeah, I think you're very spot on on that. But more important than local elections is relationships. Um, I think. Absolutely. Just peer-to-peer interaction um, and just knowing your people in your community and the people around you and your friends, you know, and having difficult conversations sometimes. Community support groups. Yeah. Yeah. Like those will make, a, or just, you know, any local action that you could take, like that is outside of the voting system entirely, right? Like those are go- what's going to matter far more and those are what's going to shape Uh, your environment far more and make a difference in people's lives because we've kind of because ever since politics became a sport um we've kind of broadened the scope (laughs) yeah i like that (laughs) (laughs) we kind of broadened our scope beyond what it's meant to be right like we think way too nationally and not enough about just doing something good for somebody that you can see with your eyeballs Right. So, reach out to your community, find people who are yeah. like-minded, form a club, form a community center. Get everybody involved. Reach out to people who are uh not like-minded. Reach out to people who are opposite of you. Make sure. friends with them.
1: Invite people, invite people into your in-group who share different opinions. You'll be surprised how much you have in common.
0: Yeah, you'll be surprised how much you have in common and you'll be surprised and where and where you know you're opposed, you'll be surprised by how little that ultimately matters. Um, and how much you can right. coexist together. And honestly, right. I think that's just really been a practice for us. We talk a lot about diversity, and we have big ideas about diversity mm-hmm. because we particularly like this idea that seems to be decreasingly popular in our culture of this idea of, well, I've called it true diversity. Um, but you had that useful mm-hmm. illustration of the mosaic versus the melting pot, right. Uh, we talk about, or at least we've been what I heard a lot
1: was America as, melting pot and that's in many ways that's not ideal it might be what's happening but that's not ideal because what a melting pot is is you have all these different cultures all these things coming in and it's all creating something else it's transformative it's destructive it becomes something it takes all these beautiful colors and turns it into this this muddy brown gross thing if you've ever taken all the sharpies and all of the colored pencils or all of the Crayons and just mix them all together, all the acrylic paint, mix it all together, it becomes ugly. You take all those beautiful colors and destroy them, it becomes this disgusting brown color. That's not what we want. Although, I mean, brown skin, maybe, but. <laughs> <laughs> disgusting brown. That's disgusting brown, coming from like a pretty dark skinned brown person. No, 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 but like this, it, it takes that beautiful range of colors and just muddies it, right? What we want is a mosaic. We want to take all those beautiful colors and keep everybody represent, representative. You can you can point at it and say, yeah, that's me. And I fit in perfectly into this beautiful art piece that this mosaic will create. But remaining individual, yet part of the collective.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a more beautiful picture of diversity than often what were served from popular culture yeah. and politics on both sides of the aisle but i I suppose the the left has had a bigger emphasis on you know this melting pot style of diversity where you and i have sort of digressed into thinking that not digressed but like well digress isn't necessarily progressed (laughs) Uh, yeah you and i have sort of progressed into this idea of the mosaic and i think you you said you got that from someone else but i've since heard it in other places too i i got that from my english teacher yeah and I think that's a more v- beautiful picture of diversity, one that's right, yeah, composed of individuals. And it makes room for people being different and people disagreeing. And I think one of the most healthy yeah. things that – well, I mean, I, I, I think I could speak for both of us, but I know I could speak for myself. I think one of the more, more healthy things that we've managed to do in our lives is uh, maintain relationships with people who disagree with us. And maintain close relationships with people who have diverse arrays of views. Because just doing that is something that's going to change your life and theirs. Yeah. Is to just love people who are different than you. And you'll be surprised by how much that'll, first off, enrich your life. Mm -hmm. And how much that will open the minds of people who might not otherwise ever uh, see your positions favorably. That's ultimately what it comes down to. And I think, yeah, again, local is definitely more important than federal, but more important than local is the relational. Yeah. The individual level. So, that being said, we said a whole lot of words. I think it's time to wind this podcast to a close. Thank you all very much for listening. This has been the Hypercube Podcast. This show is edited by Lauren Pacheco, mixed by Rafael Pacheco, with original theme music by Mono Memory. Until next time, we'll see you all later. God bless. Stay classy, America.